So we're in Matthew 5. It will be on the screen if you have not got your Bible, but if you've got a Bible, grab it out, Matthew 5 from verse 17. Okay, this kept happening this morning, right? Basically, my, my ring keeps hitting my microphone. It's really quiet. <laughs> if I lose your attention. <laughs> That's cool, I like that. Can I show you that for 20 minutes? That's way more interesting than my notes. <laughs> okay, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, but unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm actually going to pause and just pray for us right now. Lord, I just pray as we open up your word and just reflect on this passage. I pray that we'd glean your truth, Lord. I pray that the words that I speak will not be empty, but will be life-giving. I pray that they will bring freedom. I pray that they will just liberate and Wherever we find ourselves at tonight, I just ask that you would speak to us in a significant and powerful way. Not because of the skills of anyone on stage, but because of your power working amongst our midst. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So I want to ask us tonight, are we living in freedom? I want to just push into what does it look like for us to live lives of freedom? We can feel so trapped, right? If you're anything like me, you can feel trapped with anxiety or trapped with insecurity or trapped with a lack of self-worth and it can limit our lives. Or perhaps it's pressure, pressure to conform, pressure to be like someone, pressure to be something, pressure to do something, pressure to have something. And it can cause stress, it can cause relentless expectation and pressure on our lives. Or perhaps it's the noise and busyness just of things coming at us from every angle, expectations and thoughts and reflections and social media and emails coming at us from every angle and we can just feel the pressure and stress of everyday life. Or it could even be tonight you find yourself here at church and it's the religiosity, it's the expectations that you're seemingly feeling from others around the room. I'm not holy enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough. These guys, they have their hands up in worship, they're going for it, but for me... I feel so far from that. I feel like Jesus does not want to have a connection and a relationship with me. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not ready for that. Or perhaps you come tonight and you know of sin in your own life and you're thinking, if only Jesus knew that, if others knew that, there's no way that I could be free. There's no way that God could really have a plan for me. Or perhaps it's because of these things we start to compare. We think, well, actually... That person to the left or right of me, they've got it, but me, I can't even worship God because I'm not worthy, I'm not ready. If folk knew the real me, then would they want to be my friend? Would Jesus really want a relationship with me? But I want to say from the outside that God doesn't put any of that on us. God wants us to be free and liberated and live a life that is one of just complete fulfillment in him. I used to work at a pupil referral unit, and I tell you that because you don't have those in Scotland, but basically they're institutions where kids who are chucked out of school go to these institutions, and as you can imagine, they're not chucked out of school from doing too well in their studies or because of good behavior. They're there because they're a nightmare, and they are often violent and drug users and all sorts of stuff, and I remember one 
situation. It's completely aside to what I'm going to share, but I went into a cupboard and... There we go again. That's, that's going to be so annoying. <laughs> Have I only just discovered that? Anyway, it's fantastic. So I went into this cupboard and I did the thing that is completely stupid and ridiculous. I left the keys in the door. I went in, went to grab the basketballs. I thought, oh, no, I've left the keys in the door. And then turned around and lo and behold, they locked me in this cupboard. So then I'm thinking, what do I do here? Because if I kind of whack on the door and say, let me out of here, then they're going to think, you know, this is brilliant. Let's just leave me here longer. And equally, I had the number of, on my, I had my mobile phone in my pocket and I had the number of the head teacher. And I thought, if I ring him, he's going to think, what an idiot. I'm employing you and you've managed to get yourself locked in a cupboard. So I was like, oh, I just have to hang it out. I did send up a prayer or two. I was thinking, you know, am I going to be here for the rest of my life? But anyway, five minutes later, they let me out of this cupboard. And I came out and they said, that was funny, wasn't it, sir? I was like, no, it's quite scary, actually. Don't do that again. But what they said to me once, and I'll never forget it, they were in my car, and they said to me, they said, Andy, they did actually call me Andy. Yeah, that's an interesting fact for you. Get them back, right. <laughs> so they said to me, Andy, if you knew our lives, if you knew our situation, then you'd realize there's no hope for us. We want to be dead by 40. I'll never forget they said we want to be dead by 40. We want to just get the best out of our life. We don't want to grow old. We want to just make the most of taking drugs, having fun right now, because there's nothing for us. Our family situation, Andy, you'd understand, is so broken. The drugs are so addictive. Our prospects look so bleak. We've been chucked out of six schools. How is anyone going to employ us? You don't understand what it's like for me. And I want to say to you tonight well, exactly what I said to them. I believe that Jesus offers freedom. No matter how broken or messed up we feel, Jesus offers freedom. No matter where you find yourself tonight, Jesus wants to liberate you, not limit you. He wants to give you, he wants to take those shackles off your feet. Today's passage is intended to bring us freedom, you see, because the laws that they were referring to, nobody could keep the laws. It was impossible. Beyond Jesus, nobody was able to keep the laws. And what the Pharisees did was they actually made new laws. They had the 2,000 Old Testament laws, but they had added a further 365 laws because they wanted to just say that actually it's all about trying to do the right things. They said it's all about trying to live the correct life. It wasn't about the heart, it was about the behavior, and they were determined to be holier than thou. And then what would happen is they would try and tweak and change the laws because they weren't easy to live. So if there was a law around adultery, actually if you look in the New Testament, they actually tweaked and changed it to make it more accessible, to make it more possible to suit their particular needs. And what was happening with these laws, they weren't liberating like they were intended. They weren't freeing, but actually the laws were restricting. They were burdensome. They were heavy. You see, the point is they were missing the point. The laws, the expectations of the Old Testament were pointing towards Jesus. They were there for our good, not to restrict us, but to free us. He is the fulfillment. It says in his passage very clearly that Jesus is the fulfillment. All the Old Testament prophecy and laws point to him. And the reason they do is because they want to help us and shape us to love God and love others better. The purpose of Jesus fulfilling the laws is we would have the best life. It's not to limit us. It's not to shackle us. It's not to hold us back. It's that we would be free in him. Following Jesus limits, sorry, it liberates, it doesn't limit. It is there for the best life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. I used to have a dog called Misty, and she was a terrier, and terriers are pretty pointless dogs, right? Anyone else? Pretty pointless dogs? Come on. That's, that's definitely turned, done its time, that joke. Okay, so I have this dog called Misty, and she was a complete nightmare because 
whenever you took her for a walk, you took her out, she would always kind of run off. She was just completely incapable of just doing anything you asked for her. So you'd call her, and you'd look completely stupid, like this public park. She'd just run off as if she'd never met you before. And she'd never listen to you. And then what happened was, the more and more we tried, we realized it was actually quite dangerous because she would run off into busy roads, or she would run off and not come back to the house, and you wouldn't find her for ages. And what happened was, we couldn't take her on holiday, we had to put her in the kennels because we couldn't trust that when we went away, she'd come back to us. We wouldn't let her out of our garden because if she escaped, then there's major roads and she could cause damage. It's really cheesy, but that's what happens here. Is that if we don't follow Jesus, we don't realize that he's actually come to give us the best life, not to restrict us, not to limit us, then actually we miss out on all the opportunity, all the freedom he's got for us. There is freedom in Christ. Because of Jesus, there is freedom. And it's all because of his grace. It's not because of anything we do, it's because of his grace. He fulfills through his perfect face. This passage emphasizes the fact that the law is fulfilled in Jesus. It isn't abolished, it's fulfilled. It is completed in Jesus. Because he fully trusted his father, because he lived a life of perfect faith, it's fulfilled. Because of his obedience, he obeyed all the laws, it's fulfilled. He even accepted the curses associated with the Old Testament laws. He said that I will live this out, I will live an obedient and perfect life. He lived a sinless life obeyed every single one of the laws for you and I and we can feel trapped and burdened by our sins and our shortcomings but he took those on his shoulders God went to the cross to free us of the weight of sin the pressure of sin and ultimately it was because of his righteousness his death on the cross that we are liberated that we receive freedom that he fulfilled the law you see, it wasn't fully completed until he died. He had to die on the cross so that you and I could have freedom. It was his sacrifice, his death on the cross that fulfilled the law. The laws had sacrifices and expectations and he fulfilled it once and for all. He took all our shortcomings, all our sins on his shoulders and said, it is done, it is finished. Because you see, we all need a saviour. The fulfillment of the law comes from the fact that each and every one of us needs a saviour. We need Jesus in our lives. We're not going to complete it by being more righteous with the Pharisees. This passage says that we're to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And what they're saying is that it's, you, you can keep trying to obey more laws, but you're not going to do it. The only way you can be more righteous is through Jesus working through you. It's not like if the Pharisees obey 90% of the laws, we have to obey 95%. We're not meant to be more abiding to the laws. We're meant to be more righteous because of his life working in and through us. It's all about his grace. It's all about him living in and through us. The Lord is fulfilled because of what he done, his life, his death, his resurrection. I love in John's Gospel that the stories of the woman at the well and Nicodemus are back to back. And what happens in those two stories is there's a deliberate contrast as far as I can see. And the woman of the well, there's this lady who's considered scum of the earth, considered the low life. She has no money. She has no friends. She has to go and get water in the middle of the day because she wants to avoid seeing people. Society frowned upon her. She was not well respected. She had nothing in society's eyes. And that backs onto the story of Nicodemus, this really well respected and revered leader. He had everything. He had the money. He had the fame. He had the leadership. He had the success. And I'm sure that these stories are backing on to one another because they're saying that whether you've got everything in the eyes of the world or whether you feel like you've got nothing, 
Whether you are really intelligent and you feel like you're doing really well academically or whether you feel like you've got no hope academically. Whether you're successful in the eyes of the world or not. Whether you're popular or not. Or if you're anywhere in between any of those. Jesus lived and died for you. He came for you. I never forget a preacher once sharing a story and I'm sure it's a bit of poetic license but I think it's just helpful. He talks about the fact that he was driving along and he was on a motorway. And as he was doing kind of 85 in a 70, which obviously you're not meant to do, but we've all done it, apparently. Becky obviously has, right? Okay. That's terrible, that is. Okay. So she was doing, he was doing 85 in a 70, and he looks in his mirror and he's like, oh, no, I can see some blue flashing lights. So he thinks, oh, I'd better pull over. You know, there's obviously a police, I'll pull over. And he pulls over, and... The policeman gets out of his car and says, you know, you're doing 85 in a 70. You need to, I'm afraid, go to the office and get your three points. And he says, look, look, come on now. I did 85 in a 70. I only just went over the law. And she, he said, look, look, you've broken the speed limit. You've done 85 in a 70. I need you to take you to, to the cop shop. That's what the policeman said, apparently. And, and then he goes, look, look, but I only did 85 in a 70. Come on, that, that's not right. It, surely it's okay. I just went slightly over the speed limit. And they have this argument. He says, look, look, you've done over the law. And just as they were arguing, this car goes flying past at 120 or whatever. And he says, look, forget about me for a second. That car has gone well over the speed limit. Forget about me. That car has gone massively over the law. Go and chase them. Forget about me. And the policeman says to him, but have you broken the law? Yeah, but he says, wait a sec. That guy's done 120. I'm just doing 85. Yeah, but have you broken the law? Guilty. Guilty, all of us need a saviour. Whether it's feel like we've just done the 85 or 120, we all need the saviour. We all need to know his freedom in our lives. And there's probably a danger, isn't there, if we're honest with ourselves, that our pride can allow us not to fully accept the grace of God. Our pride can restrict us from allowing fully the grace of God. There is freedom in Christ because of him today. Because he fulfilled the laws, he gives us freedom and you see, it's not about the fact that the laws and the traditions were wrong. They were all pointing towards Jesus. The Old Testament and the prophets were pointing towards Jesus. These passages we've just read emphasizes the fact that the law and the prophets weren't there to be abolished. They point towards Jesus. They were useful and right. But we can't get hung up on that. There's newness. It's all about Jesus. We can't get hung up in the old. It's all about Jesus. And I'm sure part of this is saying, look, I'm always doing something new. I'm always doing something new in your life. Jesus wants to do something new in your life tonight. He wants to give you a liberated life. He wants to do something new. We don't just turn up to go through the motions. We don't turn up just to sing nice songs and hear the same teaching. We come because we expect Jesus is doing new things in our midst, individually and as a church family. Jesus is here tonight and he wants to do a new thing in every one of our lives if we humble ourselves before him. I wonder, as we look at this passage, that Jesus wants us to come from a place of brokenness and dependence. He wants to come from a place of humility. Verse 20 says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, that's got to be impossible without Jesus. If it's about us being more holy than the Pharisees, it's about us obeying more laws, then we're never going to do it. The only way we can do it is with Jesus working through us. I've reflected recently about the fact that the less of me and the more of him, the more fruitful I become. 
The place of dependence, the place of leaning into him, is actually where we're our strongest. It's about his power working in and through us. It's about his grace working through us. Throughout scripture, it talks about the fact that sick people need a doctor. We come to him in a place of desperation, a place of need, saying, Jesus, it's all about you. It's not about me. It's about you living in and through me. It's not about me obeying the laws or doing the right things. It's about your power and your goodness working through me. It become about the Pharisees. It become about them trying to prove their self-worth. But Jesus says, all about him. I'm often just overwhelmed when you meet people who have got kind of crazy stories about perhaps they were in prison or perhaps they've, in society's eyes, done some really horrendous stuff and that the sense that God's grace is just bubbling in and through them because they just recognize that he's completely changed their lives. That's the place we need to come to, to say, actually, God, it's amazing that you would not only choose me to be part of your family, but you would want to use me in your kingdom. We need to be overwhelmed by the fact that he would choose us, that his love and grace would invite us into relationship. Jim Carrey, the famous theologian. That was a good one. That wasn't even in my notes. So, Jim Carrey, the famous theologian, said this, not theologian, in case you use the actor, just be absolutely clear. The actor, Jim Carrey. I believe that suffering leads to salvation. In fact, it's the only way. But we have to somehow accept, not deny, but feel our suffering and feel our losses. And then we make one of two decisions. We decide to go through the gate of resentment, which leads to vengeance, which leads to self-harm, which leads to harm to others. We go through the gate of forgiveness, which leads to grace. Let me read that again. I believe that suffering, so Jim Carrey just got out of prison. I believe that suffering leads to salvation. In fact, it's the only way. We have to somehow accept, not deny, but feel our suffering and feel our losses. And then we make one of two decisions. We either decide to go through the gate of resentment, which leads to vengeance, which leads to self-harm, which leads to harm others. We go through the gate of forgiveness, which leads to grace. You see, Jesus, if we allow him to, changes our lives today. He's always doing something new in and for us. He's always saying, because of my grace, I've got greater things for you. I've got deeper things to do through you. Jesus changes lives today. And even tonight, he can speak to you and impact your life for the very first time. I want to invite Susan up. Where's Susan? There she is. Come on, Susan. Oh, no, she's got a notepad. That's dangerous. And Susan's just going to share just a bit about how she's seen God work really powerfully through the turning. So. <laughs> I am Susan, and I've been out in the streets uh, this week with a group called The Turning, which some of you may have heard about. And The Turning is just about God's grace. It's about taking the good news of Christ to the people that are on the streets that don't know him. And really... What I thought, the reason I brought this out was I just wrote out my Bible. Romans 10 says to us, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And that's, that's the bottom line. Unless somebody tells them, they don't know. Um, and that's what, if you like, took me onto the streets um, with a bit of the gospel. And the reason, this, this, is, this is what you go with this little bit of paper, um, and I added it up tonight, it's like 297 words. That's all that's there, 297 words. And they ask you to stick to the script and not to just go off piste. I mean, obviously you're gonna have a conversation with people, but you're basically meeting people in the streets and simply saying to them, hey, do you mind if I just tell you two things? God loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. Um, and some people, that's enough. You've used the God word and they don't want to know anymore. And um, for other people, they stop. 
And for the people that stop, you simply ask them, if you die tonight, if you die tonight, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going straight to heaven? And you'd be amazed at the variety of answers that you get to that. And lots of people don't know. I think we met quite a few of the people that Andy was talking about. And we were on Chamber Street a few days and outside the courts, we would stop and we would ask people that same question. Um, we'd say that God had an awesome plan for your life. And most of them said, well, bleep, 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 you better have because I'm up before the week in 10 minutes. Um, and other things like that. But when we asked them that question, do you know where you're going? Some of them would go to the morgue, six feet under, wherever. But a lot of them didn't know where they were going. And that just opens it up to say, well, do you know what the Bible says? Can I just tell you three things the Bible says? It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And whosoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's all you tell them. You tell them this, the gospel is simple as that. And you say, is it okay if I pray a blessing on you before you go? And you just pray a simple blessing on them. You know, you've got their name by now, and you just pray that blessing. Olivia, I ask that God would bless you and your family with long life. And if you don't already know Jesus, I pray tonight he opens your heart so that you will. And you just say to them, do you want to know Jesus? And the number of people that say, actually, yeah, I do, is awesome. It's awesome. I think Jenny shared this morning, 138 people on the streets of Edinburgh over seven days? Eight hours. Eight hours. And eight hours. We were only on the street for an hour. And eight hours, that many people said, you know what? I think I would. And you pray a salvation prayer with them. Now, one of the ladies that we met was outside the court. Um, and her name was her name was Debbie. She, she was obviously up for something. And she said, you know, I really need God. Yeah, I want to pray that prayer. And we prayed that prayer with her. And then we took some time just to listen to her and prayed the peace for her because she had obviously decided that she would live life fast and furious like these young guys. And it hadn't gone quite to plan. Um, and she knew she needed a savior. And the peace that you could see on her once that she'd prayed that prayer was tangible. Her whole countenance was changed in an instant. And she was open to meeting up with somebody to, to learn what it means now to follow Jesus. She wants to meet up for coffee and just start that journey of discipleship. And one of the things that we have to do when we do that process is we have to do our GPR and get their permission to share their details so that we can do that follow-up. And I, in my enthusiasm, had forgotten. So um, she had, you know, she'd sort of implied that she wanted to meet up, but she hadn't ticked the box. Um, so my partner said, oh, but she said she would. And I said, no, she's across the road. I'll go and just say to her, is it okay if you tick the box and keep it? Um, I was obviously a bit better behaved than your children. So I went across the road just to, just to simply ask her to tick that box. And she had sat down with two of her friends and was obviously talking to them. Um, and I said, oh, are you telling them what you've just done? And she said, oh, I, Mary really needs you. You need to speak to Mary. And I said, oh, what, what's, wrong? what's wrong with you, Mary? And Mary's life had completely unraveled. This lady had, um, her marriage had broke up. She had five children. Her marriage broke up. Her mum died. The social came in. She lost her five kids. And in the last couple of weeks, four of those children were in a car accident. Two of them were badly bruised and, and you know, nothing major. But the other two had to go into intensive care. And one of them is still in intensive care. And we wouldn't even have crossed the road if I hadn't, if 
I'd ticked the box. How good is God? He knew she needed to know that God knew where she was. She had grown up in church. She had actually gone to Life Church, the very church we'd just come from, um, but had drifted away. And then her whole life had unraveled. And here were some people saying, well, do you want to come back to Jesus today? Do you want to just pray that prayer of recommitment and let him back in? Let him be in charge of the mess and your marriage and your children and all the other stuff. And of course, she said yes. She said yes and came back into the kingdom, you know. And it's just amazing to see the peace that comes on people as they pray that. And those, those were people that you could say, well, they had a lot to gain by coming in. We had other people we met outside the courtyard. One guy, Ian, said he was so bad that he's not even allowed in the courts. His friend had been up and he couldn't even go in because he's been banned. He causes so much trouble. Um, he wasn't ready to pray the prayer, but he said, I said, well, if you're not ready today, can I pray that Jesus will get your heart ready? And I just prayed, God, would you touch his heart? Would you start to get his heart ready? And he said, oh my, you know, I can feel that. He knew that something was happening inside him. He knew that God was there. But we gave him the space. We gave him the little printed leaflet and saying, well, you know, you can follow up anytime. They got high tech this year and printed us some cards that look a lot prettier than our bits of paper. Um, and you can follow up anytime. So a seed was planted. I mean, the number of seeds that we planted this week was just awesome. It was just absolutely awesome. Um, we met people from just about every nation that you could imagine. Many of the people that came to salvation, we, we met two ladies from Venezuela. One of them prayed the prayer. I mean, we didn't expect her to pray the prayer. And she said, yeah, I would like to know Jesus. And her friend said, well, I, I, I can't pray the prayer, I'm Jewish. She said, we've got good news about that too. <laughs> You know, so she's off to look up the Messianic Jew site and just see what that says about it. But, you know, God was just so amazing. The conversations, we met a woman, Morel, came to faith. Turns out she's from Dornock, and she, her minister, that she, she had been going to church, her minister was a friend of the guy that was with me. Had been his, she had been his girlfriend when he was a 19-year-old. So, you know, a conversation starts up. The world shrinks because God put the right people in the right place at the right time. And I am not an evangelist, but with the grace of God, because I was willing to stand there and read 297 words, people got saved. People fell, in, fell into the kingdom. Um, and they'll be out again on the 5th of October. If anybody wants to be part of the turning, we've got a WhatsApp. Grab us at the end and just see what God does. Amazing, Susan. I guess I just wanted to share some of that stuff just to make it clear that Jesus... No. I guess I just wanted to share that stuff this evening to recognize that Jesus is still very much on the throne. He's still changing lives in this city and this nation. He's still... The good news still works. He can still free the most least likely people and he can still give us freedom tonight. And the challenge, I think, for us is that for those of us who call ourselves Christians, that we can go on living in freedom, that this freedom isn't just something which happens when we follow Jesus for the first time. We go on living in his grace. Matthew, the author of the gospel we're reading, is a good Jewish boy and he understands that the background, the context of these laws, the background, the context of the Old Testament, he understands that thoroughly because he's a Jewish boy growing up with that stuff. And he recognizes that it all points to Jesus, it is all fulfilled in Jesus. 
And he also recognizes that the way in is Jesus. The way to salvation, the way to a relationship and freedom is Jesus. But the way on to live in freedom is with Jesus. And I wonder if we, as Christians, for those of us who would call ourselves Christians, we can get almost blasé or familiar or guess just too accessible with the gospel. We've recognized that it becomes too familiar and just too blasé in our lives. But his grace changes everything. I love the fact that Philippians, the the letter by Paul, finishes by saying it's because of the grace living in and through you that you keep going on. It's his grace that keeps working and ministering in and through you. We go on living in freedom. Jesus calls his people back to what they were always called to do. The law was from Jesus who was there in the beginning. He was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit right there from the outset of time. He set the law. He gave the laws in order to allow us to have a relationship with him, to have good relationships with one another, to have the best life. And he's calling us back to him tonight and saying, look, it's still ongoing. This journey is still happening. The freedom that you can experience for the first time keeps going on. That grace is still alive and well in you if you choose to follow him. Are we living that grace-filled freedom life? Abraham Lincoln, the 19th century president, was at a slave auction when slave auctions were, I guess, acceptable in society. And he was there and this lady who was a slave, he was bidding for and he kept bidding for her. He kept outbidding the other people in order to buy this slave. And eventually he paid for this slave and bought her and she came over and people were almost mocking him because he paid well above what she was deemed to be worth. And he bought this slave and she came over to him and he said, I've bought you so that you can be free. And this slave says to him, she says, I don't even know what freedom is. And I wonder for some of us tonight that we've been so enslaved we forgot what true freedom is. The pressures and expectations around us, we've forgotten what true freedom is. And then Abraham Lincoln says to this lady, he says, I've bought you so that you can be free. Go and be and do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. I'm paying for you to be free. And she says, I don't know what freedom is. And he said, look, I'm paying for you to have freedom. I've paid for you to escape this life of slavery. And she says, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And for me, that's the essence of this passage. He comes to us and says, I'm paying for you to have freedom I'm paying for you on the cross and then as we recognize his gift of grace as we recognize the incredible gift of freedom we say I want to follow you Jesus the best life is following you does keeping the law save you no does doing the right thing save you no but as it changes our heart, it changes the way we live and interact with one another. We're called to have righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, all that only is possible with Jesus. The right way of living can only happen with Jesus. In this passage we read, it talks about the fact we're to pass on the teachings of Jesus, we're to tell others about him, we're to share the good news, we're about to teach the ways of Jesus. You see, because when it changes our heart, when it changes our inner self, when it changes who we are, when we allow Jesus to get to the root of who we are, we want to say, actually, Jesus, I'll follow you. We're more holy than we ever were before, not because of pressure or expectation, not because we're trying to impress others like the Pharisees were, not because we're trying to be something or do something to tick the right boxes, but because he's changed us within. And we say, I'll wholeheartedly follow you. 
a new level of righteousness because of him working through us. He doesn't put any expectations or pressures on us. He comes to us and says, there's freedom if you choose to follow me. My grace is sufficient. But to quote Romans 6, Romans 6, I love this. It says, will I go on sinning? Absolutely not. My miserable old life is nailed to the cross. Because of the freedom, we can go on living a life of holiness. We can live the life that he calls us into. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. He changes our heart. He changes us from inside out. We come to him because he's fulfilled the law, because he is the new life living in us. We have freedom and we want to liberate others the same. I was chatting to my friend Kirsty Ricciani, who recently, many of you will know, and she was saying how for her she's really trying to impact the environment by cutting down her waste. And what she said is that she's noticed that for many of her Christian friends, they're less interested actually than her non-Christian friends. And of course, that's a judgmental, sweeping statement. But what she's saying is that if we're not careful, we don't take some of this stuff seriously. It's not just about the environment, but about how we live, because we almost take this grace in a blasé and cheap way. Bonhoeffer talks about it being free grace, not cheap grace. It changes our life. It changes how we live and interact when we worship God, when we come to him in a place of desperation and encounter, we say, God, have your way in me. I want to follow you wherever it will take me. I want to love others in a way that you have loved me. Jesus comes tonight to give us freedom. And when we recognize that he's given us freedom because of what he did on the cross, because he is the fulfillment of the law, because everything points to him. And he says, look, the new way is here with me as you allow your, my grace to live in and through you. It gives freedom to live. Why don't we stand as we just come into a time of worship? I'm going to pray for us. I actually had a strong sense just as we were preparing for tonight that Jesus actually wants to free some people from anxiety and I had the same sense this morning and I can't guarantee that Jesus will free you of anxiety but I promise he's able to and for some of us it's crippling, it's holding us back and I believe that God's going to heal some of that tonight. There's a prayer minister over there and if that's for you I'd love you just to go over there and receive prayer for that. I'm just going to pray for us. Why don't you put your hands out if you want to, just as a sign of just receiving. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Have your way, we pray. We thank you for the incredible gift of freedom in Christ, the incredible gift of not having to conform, not having to be anyone, not having to do anything, but just accepting the incredible gift of grace. Oh, you're incredible, Jesus. And we love you and thank you for that. And I pray that now that would propel us into a place of worship, that we would just celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. And I actually pray that tonight for some of us, for the first time, we would encounter that freedom. Yeah, I pray that some people here tonight for the first time would just know the freedom that comes when we accept Jesus came to us and sets us free. And for those of us who've been following for a while, I pray that we would allow our shackles to be taken off because of your grace. And I pray that we would live more fully in the freedom that you set before us.
Holy Spirit, break the chains tonight. Break free tonight, we pray. Perhaps in your mind you want to just name now something that you just feel is holding you back, where you feel that just it's, it's, it's limiting you, it's not allowing you to be liberating Christ, something which is just shackling you, it's holding you back. Just name it in your mind. Holy Spirit, we bring before you those things, and just as we go into worship, we pray that chains will be broken off, that freedom will occur for the first time or for the millionth time. We just pray that we would know just new healing and freedom in you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.